While the kids are being dismissed, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 10. I'll be, uh, look, we'll be looking at together verses um, 16 through 21. How many of you remember or know what Publishers Clearinghouse is? Maybe you've seen a commercial, you've seen the Reader's Digest uh, insert about it, or you've received something in the mail, right? I remember being shortly married and um, in our mailbox in in our first home, pull out the the letter from Ed McMahon saying, you could be a winner. And then you have to subscribe to like 49 magazines and do all these kind of things, and, and maybe you will get something back, but... I remember the commercials too um, that would pop up, and it you know it's a commercial, but they're like it's live. How can it be live? It's it's something they paid. It's space they paid for. But Ed McMahon comes knocking with all the parade of people on the door of a, a big winner, and they present the huge check, and it could be for millions of dollars. Right now, uh, you can go on their website, and, and their their current um, contest assures the winner $5,000 a week for the rest of your life. It's not too shabby. Uh, The problem is the fine print in the contest says that the odds of winning is 1 in 6.2 billion. (laughs) And there are currently 7.7 billion people in the world today. So, good luck. But imagine with me... If the commercial was running and Ed McMahon's knocking on the door with a big check and, you know, they usually have the cheerleaders and the band and all that kind of stuff to celebrate. They knock on the door of someone's house and after they greet them, uh, they congratulate them on their big win. And the person at the door grumbly declines and threatens them to get off their property. You know, kind of like the angry old man, like, don't walk on my grass kind of thing. My kids make fun of me for that. Eric, I take good care of my grass, right? Yeah, he's happy about that. But, you know, like we don't slip and slide in our backyard because it'll destroy the grass and we don't put a tent down. I'm a terrible dad, but we have really nice grass. So, um, so you know, the, you have the grumpy old man and he's like, get off my lawn. And he rejects the prize. That seems preposterous, right? To deny such a gift. And yet, that's what we're confronted with in our passage this morning. A beautiful offer of an invaluable gift that has been rejected and turned away. If you were with us last week or if you uh, followed along on the live stream, we, we looked at the verses in Romans 10. And let me just read them for you. When Paul writes, how will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And we talked about this idea that God has called his children to go with the message of the gospel. And that saving faith, that's where it begins in verse 14. How will they then call on Him in whom they have not believed? For people to come to know who Jesus is, 
They need to have someone who is sent to tell them who Jesus is. And the passage in verse 15 culminates with this declaration from Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And it just seems so wonderful, so amazing that you can find life in Jesus as a result of people who have brought good news of good things. I mean, certainly this sounds like a no-brainer. When you look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you were to ask people who know the Lord, what does it mean to know the Lord to you? They would say, it means that I am set free. It means that I am forgiven. It means that I am loved. It it means that I am the Lord's forever. It means that there is nothing in my life that can separate me from God's love. And you hear this grand declaration, and you hear and, and you begin to see this good news. And right after the declaration of beautiful feet that bring good news of good things, you hear the crashing declaration that the message that was brought was rejected. And for me, and I don't know about you, I'm just dumbfounded at the hardness of the heart of the sinful man. They just We know good news. Grace, as one pastor said, grace has got us. And it infects our lives and it changes and transforms us. And and we're given a a new life. The scriptures tell us that God puts a new song in our heart. And when we know Jesus, everything is turned upside down, as Britt said. And, and, And life starts making sense in the grander sense of what God is doing and building his kingdom and calling people to himself and and when i think about those things and then i think about people that do not know the lord and, and and they just don't care and and you talk to them and plead with them and pray for them and urge them and they look at you like you're strange when you when you start putting the pieces together and you think how can they reject such a message and that's what's going on here in romans 10 the message has gone out But it's fallen on deaf ears. I mean, the good news of Jesus shared in this way, as Romans 10 declares, with clarity and conviction, should bring about transformation. But the good news for us isn't always good news for everyone, it's intended to be but it isn't for everyone. And within the context of Romans 10, we're invited to see how such a gracious message has been rejected by those who should have believed first. I mean, these are the people that should have understood first the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, the gospel that the disciples like Peter and James and John were proclaiming. It's in Romans 10 that we see the present failure of Israel. Their failure to believe in the Messiah that had long been promised to them. As as we've been looking in Romans, Romans 9, 10, and 11, 
focuses in on God's work in the nation of Israel and how it seems from a worldly perspective, from a human perspective, these people that God had called had largely rejected the promise of a Savior. Not just a Savior, their Savior, their Messiah, the one that had been promised to the prophets and the teachers of the law, the one that was spoken about in the Scriptures in the Old Testament, their Scriptures all the way back from the very beginning. When Jesus came, rather than receiving His righteousness by faith, They killed the Son of God on a cross. And they continued to pursue their religious law-keeping. They tried to justify themselves before God by their obedience. In some ways, this chapter, especially these verses, presents the spurned love of God that He has for Israel. And we see the tragedy of unanswered unrequited love that God has for the world. That, to me, is what is so baffling concerning the unbelief of those who do not know the Lord. How they could reject such a gift and deny that the Creator of the universe would provide a remedy to the deepest hurts their hearts face to offer them forgiveness for all the wrongs they have ever committed and to welcome them home. As we study this passage together this morning, I pray that you can see a God who desires to be close to you and a God that desperately loves you. Sometimes those thoughts can be choked out by the noise of life. You know what I'm talking about, right? There are things that you know to be true, and then as life happens, it's hard to remember those things to be true. It could be something that you're facing, something that you're going through. It could be news that is coming around the corner. It could be um, a challenge that you're facing. It could be um, unsettled, uneasy difficulty in a relationship with someone. Maybe something is going on at work. Maybe you have plans for something and they're falling through. And the noise of life is just loud and it's in your ear. And it's hard to remember that God is close and whispering to you that He loves you, that he, is, he provides for you through His Son. So I think it's good for us to take the time to still our hearts, to calm our minds, and to hear the words of Scripture as we hear His grace towards us. And so let's pray together. Father, in these moments that we now have, God, I pray that we would hear your voice above anything else. Father, we know that there are, there's a lot of hurt in this world, a lot of hurt in our hearts. There's a lot of confusion. There can be things that distract us. And you have appointed this time and this place for us to push it all aside and hear from you. And Father, even in a passage where we are considering the heartache of a people that you have loved, that we consider their rejection of you, we still hear your covenantal love, your, your promised love for them. 
And that is true for every person that knows you and loves you, that you have promised good for them. And Father, I pray that we would see that you are a faithful, loving God in spite of ourselves and that you would receive the glory as we respond to the teaching of your word. God, we pray you would be glorified in all of this. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read the passage for you. However, they did not, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have not heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And you might be thinking at this point, how on earth does this tell me about God's relentless love? I mean, this is strong negative language here. This is frustrating language. This is the language of an apostle who is faithful in preaching the gospel, who is using through the inspiration of the the Holy Spirit, the text of Scripture, to convey that the people that God had shown love to and promised to and all those good things to have rejected that message. They are stiff-necked. They are disobedient. How can we see God's faithful love? Well, it's there in the text. So let's see how God shows us that. In verse 16, when Paul says, However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? He begins by saying, however. However is in connection of the messengers that have gone out. How beautiful are the feet of those who have brought good news of good things. As the message goes out, the response is, however can be translated, that word, however, can be translated as yet or rather. In a sense, Paul is saying, in spite of the messengers going out with that declaration. You know, we talked last week about the idea, the problem in the church today is we're not going out. Paul is talking about a time as the messengers are going out. And as we're going out, people aren't hearing The good news has been rejected. However, they did not all heed the good news. Paul is saying that the majority of the nation rejected the message. They did not all heed the good news. They, the majority. The, there, there were people from Israel that came to faith in Jesus, but they were in the way minority. Over, overwhelmingly, the nation of Israel heard the message and promise of a Messiah and saw him 
and they nailed him to a tree. They were the ones in the crowds on the day that Jesus died that said, crucify him, crucify him. So what does Paul do? He takes us to Isaiah 53 verse 1. Lord, who has believed our report? Most did not believe. Now what's interesting about this quote in Isaiah 53 verse 1 is its connection with the quote from Romans chapter 10 verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. That was a quote from Isaiah 52 verse 7. So you have a quote from Isaiah 52 verse 7 about how beautiful are the feet. And just a few verses later in Isaiah 53 verse 1, Lord, who has believed our report? And what what is interesting is that the Isaiah 53 passage is a passage that comes right after a grand declaration in Isaiah 52 of Israel coming to the place where as the message is going out, they're beginning to hear and respond. And then Isaiah 53. How many of you know Isaiah 53? We read this verse often. Isaiah 53 is the passage of the suffering servant. The servant that was sent by God, the son who came to the earth and was crushed for our iniquities. And it was the father's good pleasure to crush the son. This is the tension that is existing in Paul's mind as he's writing about the frustration of what's going on with Israel. They have every chance to hear and respond and yet they are not heeding the good news. And so we read in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. All of the conditions of verses 14 and 15 were met. Messengers going out, proclaiming the message, preaching the good news. All of the conditions were met except for one. It's the first one in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And Paul says in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. All the conditions were met except for one. Faith. So what does this mean practically for us as we're looking at this passage? Well, it means this. You can do everything that God wants you to do as being his ambassador. You can go where he wants you to go. You will preach what he calls you to preach. You can be emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach good news of good things to the people. But there's one thing that you can't do when you preach the message of the gospel. You cannot create faith in the person that's hearing it. You can't do that. It's not our job to produce faith in people. We cannot cause faith in another Faith can only occur when a person hears and responds to the word of Christ. And what's the word of Christ? Well, the word of Christ is probably better understood as the word about Christ. And what is the word about Christ? It's the gospel. 
It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess and believe in the person and work of Jesus. That is how you are saved. But we can't create this kind of faith in people. It's something that God causes as they hear the word, as their hearts are regenerated. And so I I share that to you in a positive sense, to encourage you. Because I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm preaching the gospel, when I'm sharing what it means to find life in Jesus, and it's kind of fallen on deaf ears. Did you ever have one of those experiences? You're faithfully preaching. And you look at the person and you think, oh my word, can you even hear me? And that can be discouraging. And you think, well, if that's the response, maybe I shouldn't be emboldened or as faithful or, gosh, it it seems like more people reject than than decide to follow. I just want to encourage you that the work of salvation has a place for you, but it's not only done by you. You have a part to preach the gospel But then it's up to God to take his word and to transform the heart as it's regenerated, as people respond by faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you ever talk to someone who isn't a believer? And they ask you all sorts of questions about the creation of the world, about the flood, what happened to the dinosaurs, the complexity of the scriptures, why there seems to be inconsistencies between the Old Testament and the New Testament, why it seems like God is a God of wrath here and a God of love here. And and they're asking you all these kinds of questions about human identity, and the list goes on, on and on. And they're kind of grilling you, right? You're on the witness stand about all of these things that seem to be... um, Difficult portions of Scripture that in their mind only confirm that the God that you believe in cannot be true. And they're asking you all these questions and they're debating and you know they want to be sure and all those things. Well, here's the thing. You can answer all those questions. But the only question that matters in a person that does not know who Jesus is is who is he And what has he done? Now, you should always be ready to give a defense of the hope that you have. But I would say to you that rather than trying to figure out all of the answers to all of the questions they may pose, you need to keep pointing them back to the cross. And you need need to keep showing them that none none of the answers matter except one. Who is Jesus? And what has he done? Because even if they have it figured out in their mind, okay, there can be a global flood, and oh yeah, this is where the dinosaurs fit, and oh my, okay, this is the creation. But if they don't know who Jesus is, they are still lost in their sin. And they are still dead in their trespasses. Paul is saying that life is only found when you have faith in the gospel. Israel heard, 
The prophets warned, foretold, and they rejected. They were doing their job. Read the Old Testament. Israel had the message. Read the New Testament. They heard. They saw. They rejected. In verse 18, what Paul is now doing is he's showing that Israel is not guiltless. We read, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? He asks a rhetorical question. But surely they have never heard, have they? I mean, if this is the gospel and they're rejecting, maybe it's because they've never heard. Well, he says, indeed, they have. And he quotes from the Psalms, Psalm 19, verse 4. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. You know what's interesting about Psalm 19? Psalm 19 begins in verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Psalm 19 is the grand psalm of declaration that creation cries out that God is close. And Paul uses verse 4 of Psalm 19 to to share with with the listeners, the, the readers of this epistle, that Israel indeed did hear the gospel. And it's not just through the creation, as Paul declared earlier in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Remember, he made himself known in the creation. Nobody can stand before God and say, I, I had no understanding. What, what Paul does in quoting verse 4 is he zeroes in in, in in the testimony of God in creation to the testimony of the messengers in verse 15. And he says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And how do we see that in the New Testament? Read the book of Acts. When the church was set on fire with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit indwelled the early church and Peter preached that message in Acts 2 and the disciples went out and they preached the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world, we then find that the gospel was going forward into every place I mean, 120 people gathered in an upper room in in Acts chapter 1 to the gospel being preached in the capital of the known world in Rome. The gospel surely has gone forward and Israel is not without excuse. Israel cannot say, no, we, we didn't hear that. We've never heard that before. Because the disciples were faithful to the message of Jesus to go and to share what it means to find life with Jesus. So the question was asked, surely they never heard. Well, now Paul asks another rhetorical question. Well, surely Israel did not know, did they? Okay, maybe they heard, but they didn't really know what they were hearing. We read, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. This is a quote from Moses. Moses said, and if you were a Jewish person and you heard, well, Moses said, you like, okay, we're going to listen in a little more. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He was the one that heard direct revelation from God to write the law. 
He was the one that led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, Moses says, and here now Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 21, and this is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel right before they enter the promised land. If you turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy 32, you can do that now or do it later, but you'll probably have a heading over the Bible that says the Song of Moses. And this is the portion of Scripture where Moses is charging the people of God's great faithfulness and calling them out of Egypt that they are surely His people. And as they enter the promised land, they need to be very careful that as they enter the land to never forget God's faithful love. Because if they turn from God's faithful love and take on the idols and and the practices of the nations that are around them, God will certainly... Certainly frustrate their hearts. We have it here. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding. Will I anger you? God is speaking on behalf of the people and say, if you live this way, if you ignore my covenantal love, God will make them jealous. By blessing others. So in here, here in Romans 10.19, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Israel heard, they are without excuse. Israel should have known, they are without excuse. So what did God do? He made Israel jealous. How did he make Israel jealous? Well, probably for the overwhelming majority of you here this morning, you are a response of God making Israel jealous because you are the people that weren't seeking but found him. You're the nation that is spoken of. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. God and his sovereign plan didn't look at Israel's rejection and think, oh no, what do I do now? Way back in the Old Testament, into the New Testament, God is saying, I have made room for every person to come and find life in my son. Israel is without excuse. Those without understanding Will I anger you? That phrase, without understanding, is an important phrase. People who had no clue were clued in on God's grace and love. Can you imagine that? Like just being a, a, being a person that was watching what was going on in Israel at the time of Jesus. And you're looking at this nation and this land with these scriptures... And it just seems like God is so focused on these people. And yet, they're rejecting it. And these bystanders that are watching it receive everything that was promised to them because it's now given to you. And they're probably thinking, oh my word, how amazing is this? And then they get grace and they're probably looking at Israel and thinking, how heavy-hearted are Hard-hearted are you? It's right here. Everything is here for you to believe. 
those without understanding, will I anger you? And so the Jewish people today look at the church and they think, you're nuts. They look at the faith of people that have found life in their Messiah and think, you are so far off. Like, we're not even close. In verses 20 and 21, we read one more quotation from Isaiah. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Paul concludes by quoting Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. These verses highlight the great love that God has for mankind. Those whom were chosen have rejected. And yet God desires to be restored to his creation. Do you see that in the text? God, in the face of rejection, doesn't take his ball and go home and say, boo-hoo. He says, okay, if you're going to reject me, there are still people that will find me. And I'm still going to pursue them. Because it is God's desire to be with his creation. It is God's heart to not let people sit in their sin. God wants to provide a remedy for people to come to him. God doesn't want to just save you from your sin so you can go to heaven. God wants to save you from your sin so that you can be with him. God wants to enjoy relationship with his creation. When Jesus died on the cross and was rejected by Israel, he did not die in vain. God wasn't shocked or surprised. And through the prophet Isaiah, we're invited to see that the Lord would be found by those who were not seeking, nor by those who were asking. There's great irony in verse 20 when we read, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. The irony is this, the Lord was found by those who were not seeking Israel had consumed their time with God and and wanting to find righteousness by what they did, by keeping the law, by doing all of the things that they read in their scriptures. They thought that was the way to God, but it wasn't. Those not working hard found Jesus. Cease striving and know that I am God. Now, how did these people find the grace of the gospel? Well, verse 21 hints at this. All the day long I have stretched out my hands. This stretching out connotes the idea of God standing with his arms stretched out wide open, welcoming home those who are far off. You see that? But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands saying, come home. But that's what God does, doesn't he? We read in the, the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son that the son that went off and spent everything that was given, what was the father doing? The father was out in the field searching for the son, saying, son, come home. And when the son came home, the son that was already home was like, dad, why are you doing this? 
But that's what God does. He, he reaches out with his arms and he says, please come home. It's kind of like a, a hug from a parent that you haven't seen in a very long time. Like for me, when we go to where I grew up, to my parents' home, I can know for sure every time I walk in the door, the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get a, a hug from my parents. That's what happens. And that's who our God is. He's a God that is stretched out. And this was true for the Jews, for Israel. All the day long I have stretched out my hands, and they rejected it. They were disobedient. That means they heard, and they disobeyed what they heard. And they were obstinate. The word obstinate obstinate means stubborn, headstrong, refusing to change their opinion. Know any obstinate people? There's a few of them out there. That was Israel. They were in willful rebellion. And so the Lord did what the Lord does. He provides a way for everyone to come to him. The promised people rejected, but the Lord didn't give up. Jesus came to restore Israel. And as we're going to see in chapter 11 in the coming weeks, their rebellion did not stop God's promises. As we also see the relentless love of God, we see that it comes through the faithful proclamation of bringing good news of good things. Why does God do all this? Because he loves his creation. Let me be very specific. Why does God do all of this? Because he loves you. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, this. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness. Loving kindness is never-ending love. How never-ending to the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commands. Do you see him whispering in the text of Scripture that he loves you? I pray you do. God loves you more than you could ever understand. And he has provided a way for you to come home to him through his son, Jesus. And all you need to do is believe That's the condition. It's not works. It's not trying hard. It's belief. So I want to pray for you, and I pray that if you don't know God's love, that today you could know his love by believing that what Jesus has done is enough. And I pray also that if you're struggling this morning to remember his love, you hear him saying it to your heart this morning. And for the sake of time, what we're going to do is we close. Um, I'm just going to pray and we're going to just dismiss you um, as uh, we conclude our service. Um, and so let's pray and ask God to work.